As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Oh, and Murph and Ken with today's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Hi, gents. Hello there, Auntie. Hello, hello, Owen. Well, how are you? <laughs> Hi, Ken. Good? I'm good, thanks. Well I'm, well, I'm reasonably good. I mean, part one of the World Anti Doping Agency report into the athletic scandal resulted in heads rolling. You know, I like to see heads roll in sports administration when necessary. Specifically, in that case, the heads of senior figures in the sport, including the son of the ex president of the IAAF. They're all handed life bans. Indeed, Russia's head as an entity, the, entire, the entirety of Russian athletics. Was, uh, was rolling as well after that one. I mean, mm-hmm. they are going to get back in for the Olympics. Everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. But for the time being, they were suspended from track and field, which was a pretty big deal. Part two, we were told, could take the head of Seb Coe. Just clean off. Along yeah. with all those, uh, those other... Figuratively. I mean, I don't yeah. think Dick Pound carries a large, you know, sort of broadsword. Mm. Uh, no, I mean, it would be good television. That would well, be, it would that be would, yeah. you know, grimly riveting, at least. And the report itself... Does not look good, right? So this is part two of the report. Part one dealt mostly with the Russian scandal specifically, whereas this delved more into the IAAF and a lot of the detail behind what the various characters there had done. But where people thought it would get Cohen to a lot of bother is uh, not that he necessarily was going to be directly involved in anything, but that he would have known quite a lot about what was going on and done nothing about it and then got, come to take over the sport and and fight the good fight, so to speak. It did. The report did look... Um, it doesn't look good for him in that it says what is, uh, I'm sorry, what is a corruptions embedded in the IAAF 
uh, cannot be blamed on a small number of miscreants and that the council of the IAAF, which would have included Co, could not have been unaware of the extent of the doping. So that they were, so Sebco and others in that case would have very much known a lot of what was going on. Sebco himself has always maintained the IWF is not institutionally corrupt, and the allegations had only been made against a handful of employees. So they seem to contradict exactly uh, entirely what he has said in the past. But in the press conference that accompanied the report, Dick Pound, its author, seemed to contradict himself in a lot of ways. He repeatedly stated that Coe couldn't have been aware of what was going on, was very much the best man to lead the sport forward, and much the chagrin of the mainly British journalists who lined up mm-hmm. to confront They wanted Pound. that severed head. They wanted the severed head even more than I did, apparently, and they weren't getting it. Uh, so it's funny. So on the one hand, uh, Pound is saying that uh, the council would have very much been aware, and also he said that there was that the, the IWF have, have never, even now, have not accepted that there was a cover-up and that they need to be more proactive. Uh, and th- th- So, th- you know, they're talking about the IWF that is now led by Seb Coe, and yet on the other hand, he's saying, no, this guy's a legend in sport. Uh, he's, the man to, he's the man to move things he forward. He couldn't think of someone, of anyone better to lead the IWF than uh, Seb Coe, mm. which strikes me as, comp- as uh, uh, completely wrongheaded, given the report that he's holding in his hand as he's saying those words, because... Uh, he either did, managed not to notice any of this or did notice and didn't do anything about it. And that's the only conclusion that you can come from from the report that he's so saying. So at, at the very least, all of this corruption was going on, at the very, very least, and Sebco didn't know anything about it. Which, yeah. as we said when the first report came out, doesn't reflect very well on it some of these it, it seems that just there aren't that many meetings. And, and this was actually referred to by Pound. You know, they would meet quite infrequently, these guys at the very top of this sport. So it's not inconceivable that... He just wouldn't have known. He wouldn't have been part of the circle of power there. And we're not uh, kind of, uh, of talking. Yeah, and what we, you know, the this kind of refusal to watch the German the German TV documentary about this, or you know, he comes out and says I haven't seen it, mm. or he goes after journalists as opposed to talking about the problems in his sport. I mean, there's literally nothing in Sebko's back catalogue that that you could hang your hat on that statement that there's no one better in Sebco to lead the IWF. I mean, I, I don't know what he's possibly basing that on. Him being a very good runner. Uh, there have actually been quite a few of those over the years, guys who have won Olympic medals. Yeah, him, you know, I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know, I'm putting words in his mouth here. I guess all his other achievements, such as bringing London 2012 to fruition and all mm. those things, Ken. And your, yeah, if you're, you're talking about process? how you managed to win bids for... Uh, for major sporting, <laughs> maybe that's not something you want well, in your listen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I w- would not be uh, wouldn't wouldn't be holding that one up. Mm. Uh, to be honest, it, it is it is a little bit bit odd. I mean, just you know, well, look, I don't know. Maybe Dick Pound has a reason for uh, seeming to kind of exempt Seb Co. Uh, from from the criticism that he's you know laying at the uh, the IAF here, I mean the IAF are supposedly um, you know there is a failure of governments. He did he did say that. Hmm. He said not as bad as the one that's at, at FIFA. He did say that, yeah. Um, but also that you know he what you know uh, systemic failure doesn't have to mean institutional failure. So that you know he that's that's another thing that that or doesn't uh, systemic failure rather doesn't have to mean individual. It does not have to be at the feet of individuals, so I think. Uh, but there are many, there are many other individuals in the world uh, that have had nothing to do with the systemic failure. So why not get one of those guys? I mean, I I don't think that this is 
particularly rocket science, but the the comparison with FIFA as well is just completely bizarre. Uh, how you could say that? Well, he was asked. He was asked about one of the journalists. Said, Sorry, yeah, the, the the conclusion that he comes to that this is uh, not as bad hmm. as the corruption of FIFA. I mean, I don't know how you could possibly come to that conclusion because what you're talking about here is the changing of results, like the the willful. Uh, uh, the idea that there, this isn't a level playing field, that when you're competing in athletics, the IAAF hasn't done enough to ensure that you're competing on a level playing field. Whereas at FIFA, it's just dudes getting rich off, off the back of uh, corruption. I Which mean, is funny, Lionel actually. Messi is still the best player in the world. Barcelona is still the best club team in the world. Uh, you know, Germany are the best football team in the world. And it doesn't matter how many people get rich off the back of TV rights or uh, dodgy sponsorship deals or whatever. I mean, the sport is still the sport, even if it even if it's being run by by uh, corrupt officials. Funny enough, I, I read a piece this morning. This that surprised me a little bit. His FIFA comments. Uh, he made an argument in the in the quote that I read this morning, along the lines of what you say there that FIFA was was, was, was that this is worse than FIFA. This is a previous uh, interview mm. that that Dick Pound had done, precisely because that was just a load of old men shifting money around, whereas this does actually affect sports. So it's funny. He seems to have. Sw- He's not usually a man to flop, flip-flop too much, but he seems to be a little bit here, Dick Pound. There's a lot of stuff in here also about the... But just before we leave FIFA, do you feel that it's worse than FIFA, or how do you judge these things? I mean, I don't care about it remotely as much as FIFA, because, you know, to me it's, you know, the whole the whole notion of, you know, it's, given that it's coming from doping and athletics, that doping and athletics to me is a kind of an old hat thing. Okay, but what about the... Really get my w- w- from. W- However, the the idea that that uh, that's, that Seb Coe... I, I don't really understand how, how Dick Pound can kind of exempt Seb Coe, given that he's presenting a report which does seem to point to serious systemic problems in this sport, mm-hmm. how you can then turn around and say, but, you know, at the same time, Seb Coe has done a wonderful job. At one stage, Dan Rowan puts it in. This is the dynamic that struck me from the press conference, right? That uh, essentially they announce the report and then they take questions as, as happens in press conferences. Not really explaining it new here. But a load of the British journalists all lining up, as I mentioned, to have a go at, uh, to, to, to really try to take him to task, take Dick Pound to task here, which is interesting because uh, previously, I know the Russians have said in the past that there's this Pro, and this has happened in FIFA very much, actually, even more so than UEFA. It's seen that there's this English crusade against the rest of the world. Uh, but in this case, the English journalists seem to be crusading against one of their own, uh, Seb Coe. Dan Rohn of BBC says, how can you say this is the right man to lead the organisation? Uh, he says, given that what you say about the, the cover-up, that they're refusing to accept there's been a cover-up. And also, he says it doesn't quite tally for some. And also, Rowan puts it to him, listen, this guy said that the, that Diak was great when he was taken over. He says he's an absolute shining light in the organisation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, Pound puts it to him, well, I don't know about you, but I, I think in most spheres, you always say something nice about your predecessor. Lord Coe had not, this is what he said, had not the faintest idea of the extent of DX activities when he said that. I wouldn't build a tombstone on that statement, he says, which was um, an interesting quote there. But Ke, you, you said you're not, you're, you're not interested, you know, it's old hat in terms of the actual doping side of things. What about the geopolitical uh, element to this? And there's, at one stage in this report, Diak apparently, this is the former president, when they're really getting into bother and it's being brought to him time and time again, we've got to sort out this Russian issue. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll sort it out with Putin. I'm a friend of the man's. We can get this sorted. Now, this is, um, this is 
Well, unverified in the sense that it, it's what somebody said mm. happened in a conversation with Diak. But it's incredible that it's at that level that the, that Putin might potentially be taking a call on this from the uh, head of the uh, sports organization. I'm not really surprised. Is it? I mean, it's not just any old sports organization, mm. you know. Um, and obviously, he, you know, he's a, he he Vladimir Putin also had dealings with with FIFA, you know, with Sepp Blatter, the heads of these organizations. I mean, part of the reason that they are that they've kind of scrambled to become the heads of those organizations because they they want to uh, or they feel themselves to be people on that level, you know, individuals of that exalt, exalted status who can just pick up the phone and talk to, you know, Vladimir uh, or or whoever. Um, Sepp Blatter certainly saw himself as a figure on that level. Uh, Simon is making a point to me here on, uh, on some his messaging that when we're comparing the two, uh, it, you know, there's a bit more to FIFA than just old men taking money from each other and moving it around. Uh, one member did actually take funds from the Haiti Relief Fund, yeah. for example. <laughs> so maybe we're exonerating some of the FIFA heads. Yeah. Or, or, or well, yeah, but I mean, the point still holds about the integrity of sport. I mean, mm. you know, obviously, <laughs> like corruption, stealing money from people, <laughs> not generally great. not a good scene. Mm. But if you're talking about it, I mean, what we're talking about here is, is uh, how corrupt this is on a sp- just on a sporting level because otherwise what the hell you know there's nothing in terms of the future there's nothing and I think this is probably the most important point at this stage when we're watching the Olympics this year and future world championships and track and field the question is are we any more confident about what we're seeing and I don't know that we are I don't nothing that Seb Coe nothing that Seb Coe has said or done convinces me that he's the man to to lead this fight and nothing that's come from this report today. In fairness, it's a whatever made a page report. I'm not going to claim to have read the whole thing, but based on what we're reading, we can see how endemically corrupt it has been up to now. And nothing really gives me a, a great sense that it's that it's really that that it's going to improve greatly. I mean, I'm not saying it's the yeah, same level of corruption going on, but that this that the, there's a real appetite to weed everything out and to get this right. It, it doesn't. I don't see it. I do see it maybe from WADA to an extent, but not necessarily from the IWF. Oh yeah, and I mean, I mean that's kind of what WADA is doing. You know, it's like kind of shouting over the wall at the IWF. Yeah. Effectively, is, is what's going on, and that, that's where if you to bring it back to FIFA again, it's exactly the same. All of this is just it's it's noise. It's rearranging the faces sitting in the chairs. Uh, with with a negligible to zero impact on the problems that 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 have been raised over the last two years, I don't think anyone expects FIFA to be any any better at its job or at what at what it's doing as a result of what's happened in the last two years. And I think you can say the exact same thing about the IWF. I'm checking out an article here that ranks the villains of the Rocky movies from one to six. Okay. We're going to be interviewing num- villain number seven today. That's Tony Bellew, a real-life Everton-supporting British champion boxer from Liverpool who plays the role in the movie of a fictional Everton-supporting world champion boxer from Liverpool called Pretty Ricky Conlon. Mm. So uh, he just has to... He, he plays himself to an extent, as in uh, a top-class boxer, but he just jazzes up the evil side. He brings out any evil that might be in Tony Bellew. Mm. He brings into this role and tries to... Um, make himself part of this great lineage. Number one, Clubber Lang, maybe, not too surprisingly. Rocky three. Well, Played by Mr. T. Ivan Drago, number two. I know you would have had him as your number one bad guy, Murph. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I can see where the ranking system is going there. You know, Clubber Lang, there was just a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. You know, Ivan Drago, was he, in ways, just a pawn, you know, of his mm-hmm. own government? What was so bad about Clubber Lang? He's just a bad dude. 
Do well I mean, angry. All he did was he like, predicted pain. Land a punch and, and lots of it. Well, I'll tell you what greatamericansportsnetwork.com is telling me, Ken. Yeah. Lang was a devastating puncher who owns a dominating victory over Rocky as the two squared off near the beginning of the film. We don't know a lot about Lang's backstory, but he came across as a loner who fought for his own reasons. Mr. T was the perfect actor for this role as he had an impeccable look and persona for a no-nonsense fighter like Lang. <laughs> You're right, that just sounds like a normal did puncher. Did he actually do anything bad? Did, did like, um, Mickey die somehow? As a result of... I don't think Clubber Lang killed him, though. He didn't kill Mickey. No. <laughs> okay. Mm. So, I mean, he didn't actually do anything bad about from, you know, beat the bejesus out of Rocky Balboa. Apollo and, Creed, and number that's three. All, that's all, yeah. Apollo, well, Apollo Creed's Creed. just one of the great showmen. I don't... I don't but he, was a, villain, he was a villain early None on, of these though. guys were bad. I mean, I mean, Ivan Drago was a juicer. But even then, he was like the slave of... Uh, the slave of the system. The communist state. You know what I mean? He, what, what, what choice did he have? Was he free to make that choice? Well, he did kill Apollo Creed. But again, that was... Um, that's the I sport. Mean, his, the, the, you know, that's, that's the sport. But he did display an unsympathetic... He, he said, if he dies, he dies. He dies yeah. And that was nasty. Mm. That that's was unpleasant. That's not great. You know, like, that, that brings shame on the sport. Um, there was uh, Tommy Gunn. Yeah, well, you're doing well. I was going to see if you could name any of the last three. <laughs> Tommy Gunn is number six on this list. Well, to- Tommy Gunn From Rocky Five. was, yep. you know, probably should be higher. Uh, I think he betrayed he betrayed Rocky, didn't he? Mm. He turned on him anyway, and they had a, they had a street fight, which was totally unprofessional. Yeah, come on. Uh, the, in Rocky's, but evil, it's hardly evil, though, you know? Yeah. Street fight. Yeah. Rocky, Rocky six. Rocky Balboa... Um, the name of the uh, champion who is fought to a standstill by the... Mason, Mason Dixon. Mason the Lion Dixon. Mason the Lion Dixon, yeah. Um, uh, well, I, I, can't, I can't remember anything about him, so he shouldn't be high up on the list. No, and uh, the other one is Thunderlips from Rocky Three. Oh, Hulk Hogan. It's Hulk Hogan, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they were all terrible. Most of the movies are absolutely terrible. Well, However, the new movie is quite good. Firstly, Rocky Four wasn't terrible, but please continue about the new movie. I think it's pretty decent. And Rocky One wasn't bad either. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the movie's kind of got worse. I mean, Five, Rocky Five is terrible. Rocky Balboa yeah, is, five, pretty, six, not is great. pretty embarrassing. But the, the, the most recent one is decent. Why did you like it? What did you like about it? Um, I'm not really sure why I liked it more than the... Uh, did you like all the, the old homo- homage to the, previous, to the very early ones? And there's a great scene where... Apollo, so it's Apollo Creed's son. We're not giving away too much by saying that uh, that Rocky starts training Apollo Creed's son, who seeks. Him no, out. we're not giving away anything. Um, I mean, that's the, that's how the movie more or less starts. Mm. You know, um, this is Apollo Creed's um, son, who uh, he is not the son of Apollo Creed's wife. However, it's from an affair. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, and he's and he's living in some kind of an institution. And he's a troubled, angry little child. He's a fighter. He's a fighter. He's beating up all the other kids. And then uh, Apollo Creed's wife, uh, who was also Bill Cosby's wife. Mrs. Huxtable, as she's known. Yes, Ken. Well, Bill, Cos- Bill, 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 Bill Cosby's Mrs. wife is... Dr. Huxtable's yeah, wife. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not Bill Cosby's wife. Yeah. From the Cosby show. <laughs> yeah, a TV wife. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Huxtable. To, uh, goes to the institution, um, having had yeah. uh, been overcome with compassion. Theo. Uh, Theo. Theo, yeah. Theo doesn't appear in this movie. And, and takes him in, adopts him. So she says, I'll take you out of this institution. You can come live with me in this massive gold house uh, that Apollo Creed built. It's an enormous mansion. Apollo Creed wasn't one of those fighters who squandered all his money and ended up bankrupt. 
He, Sorry, he, this is turning into the movie version of the FA Cup third round goal. Sorry, the next scene is. Uh, <laughs> no, I was going to say there are well, a lot. Let's just have it starts. Yeah, so there are a lot of nice homages. For example, there's a scene where Adonis Creed is really starting to get into the training. Mm. I'm going again. I don't. I'm not He's Wallace. Much. He's Wallace from the Wire. Yeah, geez, Wallace from the Wire has gotten big and strong, hasn't he? He's a, he's a big strong lad now, Owen. <laughs> just uh, that's that that whole uh, disaster with Wallace was in 2002. Didn't end well for Wallace in the Wire. No, no, unfortunately not. But he's running through the streets. He's he's got the hunger at this point. The hunger ebbs and flows during his training period. Again, not giving too much away that you're not going to guess yourself. But he, he's really getting into it and he's running along the streets of Philadelphia. Uh, you remember the old Rocky scenes where all the kids start running after him. In this case, he's running along the same sort of grey sweat, uh, the same grey hoodie. This time all the kids are a little bit older. They're quite old kids. Mm. And they're all on m- motorbikes and Dune buggies and, and mm. all sorts of stuff. It's Mo- a Philly thing. It's a Philly thing, apparently, and they're all motoring alongside him to go and say hello to Rock. And Dennis. Yeah, anyway. Um, of course, he wants to... He's calling himself something else, isn't he, at the beginning? What's his name? Johnson. Yeah, he wants to uh, make his own name, but then, obviously, that kind of gets set aside. Tony Bell, you coming up in a little while. Let's talk playoffs with US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Got it. Touchdown! Touchdown! Well, Brian Murphy, this time last week you seemed, uh, I'm going to say a little bit ambivalent about the start of the playoffs. Have you been hooked right in yet? You know, it's funny you say that, guys, because yes, ambivalence was the order of the day last (laughs) week. Uh, And then, of course, here come the playoffs. And as always, the unscripted theater of the NFL in January always provides memories, thrills, chills, and spills. And we had a, a nice satchel of them when the uh, weekend was done. Primarily mishaps, guys. That was the big story. Was was guys huge bungling mistakes, and and that's what it was. It wasn't so much great triumph as it was great tragedy. And it started in Cincinnati, where the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the well, it's really I was going to say woe begone franchise because they've never won a Super Bowl. But the fact of the matter is they've been to a couple Super Bowls, which is more than some teams can say, the Detroit Lions and teams like that. But they've never won one, and then they've had this 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 black mark of never winning a playoff game under Marvin Lewis, their very capable head coach. And then they had a home game against the rival Pittsburgh Steelers on Saturday night. Guys, and that one will go down. Their loss to the Steelers on Saturday night will go down as one of the great just absolute self-immolation, choke job, gag job, just any any pejorative adjective you can throw on a person self-destructing. That was the Cincinnati Bengals with that fumble by Jeremy Hill late, and then those two personal foul penalties by two of the more notorious players in the NFL, Vontaze Burfecht and Adam Pacman Jones, who we used to talk about years ago when he was making it rain in strip clubs and shooting guns. So that was a huge, huge deal and, and left the legacy, a black eye in Cincinnati. And then Sunday morning in Minnesota, we just had a classic cold weather game and the breath coming out of the helmets and memories of my childhood in the 70s. And then you just had a flat out 100% choke job by their kicker, Blair Walsh, a short field goal missed 
the Seahawks advance. So more goats than heroes, guys, but memorable stuff. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, it, it's all perfectly clear what actually happened in that Minnesota Vikings game. I mean, the 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 major mistake was not the kickers; it was actually the the holders because it's laces out. Uh, Brian, everyone <laughs> that's ever well, everyone that's seen Ace Ventura: Pet Detective knows it's laces out. If if you're holding the ball, the laces have got to be out. If they're facing in, then you're asking for trouble. You know, it's really funny, guys. Let's raise your hands. Who here saw Ace Ventura Pet Detective when it came out? Hint, I am not raising my hand right now. Did you guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're you probably did? talking 1995, so I was 13. So I think I was right bang smack in the middle of the demographic. Oh, I saw it, Brian, but I have to say I was still confused. I, I saw it, but I d- didn't remember any of this laces out stuff on, uh, when, it was, <laughs> when it was really hitting Twitter on, on Sunday evening there. I, I remember oh, Dan Marino, remember? sure. But, oh, wow. Yeah, but I didn't remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I was a, a young Well, that's, I mean, Murph is all over it, of course, because that was the legendary takeaway from that movie. Laces out, the kicker who uh, felt that his whole, Ray Finkel, I believe his name yeah, was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's the catch guys i didn't see the movie as part of my sort of jim carrey boycott through most of the 1990s i was not a jim carrey guy what, dumb and dumber? A... what's that what, not even dumb and dumber again boycotted cable guy how about that brian uh, uh brian, I, don't, I, I don't have to be the one to tell you this but honestly if mark horgan our esteemed producer hears that you've never seen that you've boycotted dumb and dumber for the last 20 years this may be this may be our final U.S. Murph chat. That's that's, that's there are my only some concern. things that can be forgiven that cannot in Mark's world. I'll tell yeah. you what though, I'll stand by it. I'll mm. stand by my boycott and I'll stand by my anti Jim Carrey stance. I would say that you know in 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 a in a run of great comedies that we've all seen in our life, I would rate Jim Carrey sort of down there on the Adam Sandler level of just a, a facile mm. and. Uh, and trite and nah, um, I can't believe this tedious <laughs> comedy. The mask. Work. Did you see the mask? <laughs> I just got to keep throwing, oh God, throwing I his movies miles away from the mask. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but it was so Closer dark. chance to see Ace Ventura: Pet Detective because of the NFL connection. Mm-hmm. But yeah, guys. In fact, I got let's see what Jim Carrey movies have I seen. I saw the Truman Show. Mm-hmm. That was his attempt at drama, wasn't it? It yep. was a little bit, a little bit dramatic. And then uh, Eternal Sunshine <sighs> of the Spotless Mind. That was I a good did one. see the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I was checking my watch halfway through. Um, yeah, so, so you're just was, bringing a, you're just bringing some baggage here. I don't know what's going yeah. on with you and Jim Carrey. But I'm just bit. unloading on Jim Carrey yeah. on the podcast this week. But I do, as part of your job as a purveyor of pop culture, as you guys are in the great country of Ireland, and I have to do it in the United States of America. You got to be aware of these things, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm at least aware of Dumb and Dumber. I'm aware of So You're Saying There's a Chance. I'm aware of a toilet uh, <laughs> joke that was made. I'm aware of the haircuts, the whole deal. I get the suits, it. The two and, suits, of course. That's yeah, the velvet what's that suit. one? The, the velour suits. Come on. Okay, that you know. one I, I did not. Velour suits has escaped me. I'm going to go back and study up. And when it comes to Ace Ventura Pet Detective, I am aware of Ray Finkel's tragic turn in life because the laces were out. It ruined him. The spray-painted graffiti everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, Murph, circling back to your original premise, the Minnesota Vikings holder, who, by the way, Jeff Locke, he was a UCLA punter. I knew him in college. I mean, or I followed him in college. He's a, he's a Bruin, so I hate to blame him. Here's what I'm going to say he's off the hook for, because for some reason he spun the laces in on Blair Walsh on two other field goals earlier in the day, and Walsh made both of those. So you can't totally blame the laces being in, but certainly, of course, 
for you Jim Carrey maniacs out there. For those of you who believe he is one of the greatest comic thespians ever to grace stage or screen, <laughs> laces out was the work was the word of the day in Minnesota. I gotta be honest, Brian. I was watching this one and I felt a little bit sorry for Blair Walsh because uh, there there weren't a lot of people in the Minnesota Vikings offense getting a whole lot. I mean, it was it was a fascinating game in a in a, a dour sort of a way. It would have been the equivalent to a nil nil or a one nil in soccer, but with a lot of intrigue and a lot of uh, tension around it. So it was quite, in a, in a weird way, it was in an almost morbid way, it was fascinating to watch. But this guy, Blair Walsh, was keeping the minute. He was kicking those tricky kicks in the, in the really bad weather. He finally missed one. And I was looking around at his teammates thinking, well, I, I tweeted this out saying, those guys don't look like they're about to go and put an arm around this fella's shoulder when they go back inside, despite hitting three out of four. Well, there you go. I mean, you nailed it. You're right in the sense that it did have an odd tension to it because it was so low scoring and it was so, so frigid. It was clearly affecting each team's ability to play. Sometimes, you know, like the 49ers went to Green Bay a couple of years ago and in conditions almost identical, uh, were able to beat the Packers and Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, back when he was a, a, a confident Jaguar of a quarterback back there doing his thing before he lost all his mojo. He went and performed in the cold, and the 49ers actually won on a field goal made by Phil Dawson in the cold. But here was a case where the cold stymied these two teams, and you're right, it led to that sort of odd tension. And in fact, Seattle's only real play in the game was on a totally broken play, a fumbled snap and a kind of a broken route run by their receivers. So, uh, But yeah, that's the. I mean, you want to talk about a lot in life, be an NFL kicker. You can go make 50 in a row, and all they'll remember is the 51st one you missed. It really is truly a almost a thankless job because kickers are, are much more famous for their misses. All I have to say is the name Scott Norwood for any Buffalo Bills fan. In fact, I believe, and again, circling back, I did boycott Ace Ventura Pet Detective because of Jim Carrey, but I believe my pop cultural knowledge tells me that, that Scott Norwood's miss for the Buffalo Bills that would have won the Super Bowl against the New York Giants the year Whitney Houston lip-synced the national anthem, that was, I believe, what, what inspired the plot line of Ray Finkel and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> so there's a connection there. But yeah, all you remember are the misses. You're only remembered for your misses. And hence, Blair Walsh goes three for three, gives the Vikings all nine of their points. Doesn't matter. Put on the goat horns, buddy. You're going to wear them forever. It's a hard knock life being a kicker. In the NFL, you're only good. You're only remembered for your misses. And even if he kicked the game-winning field goal, it would even be hard to celebrate him then. The quarterback would be celebrated for getting them into position. Really about the only kicker, I think, who supersedes that and, and like has been seen as a real hero has been New England's kicker, Adam Vinatieri, who made Tom Brady a three-time Super Bowl winner with his fabulous kicks. And he also kicked one through the snow against the Raiders in the Tuck game. So it takes... A special kicker to transcend the goat hornness. And Vinatieri actually never missed. So, yeah, poor Blair Walsh will live forever in Minnesota. And on go the Seahawks. Yeah, then you, you mentioned the Patriots there. They've got their hands full this weekend coming up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Brian Vitty Brown, one of our listeners, making the point that they're the story of the NFL year. 11 straight wins after losing five of the first six. They really are, and, and kind of the problem, the reason why they're not like they're not more well known or more talked about is because sort of just the, they don't do it in a spectacular style. They do it with defense, 
And, you know, while defenses do get celebrated through the years, whether it's the 85 Bears or the 2002 Tampa Bay Bucks or the 00 Baltimore Ravens, they're not on that level. So it's been sort of a quiet domination by the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think most people feel like they'll meet their maker when they play Tom Brady and the New England Patriots this weekend. But you'd be a fool to write that one off too quickly because the, what's the New England problem? New England's problem this year has been a weird offensive line. I think I heard a stat that they've started – 13 different offensive line combinations this year. And I think I heard that that was like an NFL record. So Tom Brady's protection has been a big problem and he sprained his ankle in their last game. So at age 38, even though he's gained some notoriety of late by revealing his uh, dietary secrets, I don't know if you guys saw this, that he doesn't eat, will never eat a mushroom or never drink a cup of coffee, all these weird kind of Tom Brady diet tips that even given his caffeine-free, mushroom-free existence, that he will be under fierce pressure by the Kansas City Chiefs on Saturday in New England. So that's going to be something to watch. This one for the Patriots is not, do not put this one in pen at all. So yes, the Chiefs could, and if they knock out the Patriots, that will get them the fame and notoriety that they're seeking and get them to the AFC Championship that would be a local story for us because Alex Smith, their quarterback, is the man who was dumped by Jim Harbaugh for this hot new date called Colin Kaepernick back in 2012. And of course, now Kaepernick's on his way out in San Francisco. Harbaugh's coaching the Michigan Wolverines. And Alex Smith may get his moment of triumph. So that's definitely something we're keeping our eyes on. Uh, Brian, you just flagged that uh, the Tom Brady diet up there and you reminded me that Ken had emailed me about this, uh, and one of these emails had popped in, and I'd forgotten to read it at the time, so I'm looking at it now. It's an Why don't interview. You open it up right now during the yeah, podcast. Yeah, meet, right meet the chef who decides what Tom Brady eats. That's eats, Kieran. Mm-hmm. Not not cheats. Yeah, okay, don't worry. Uh, and what he definitely doesn't. So Alan Campbell talks about why our quarterback, this is a Boston.com thing, so why our quarterback rarely eats tomatoes, where he shops for groceries, and why he doesn't serve mushrooms ever. So what's the issue with mushrooms? You know, it's funny. I haven't read it. I've only seen the headlines. I just, I kind of rolled my eyes like you did. Uh, I'm sure Ken will be happy to know that when he sends you emails, you simply mostly don't open them, right? Or, uh, straight, or just, it's just straight it's, delete them. Yeah. Well, it's better than deleting. At least you still had it, unless you had to fish it out of your trash file during the mid podcast oh, no. research you're doing right now. Well, I'll tell you what, but, I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> Tom doesn't eat nightshades because they're not anti inflammatory. I don't even know what a nightshade is. So, oh, okay. Type of mushroom. Oh, yeah. So no tomatoes, no peppers, no mushrooms, no eggplants. Tomatoes trickle in every, every now and then, but maybe once a month. I'm very cautious Just, about tomatoes. They cause inflammation. Can you imagine oh. the excitement, Brian, in the Brady household when tomato day rolls around every month? Just, <laughs> one, just once a month now, but... And you know that Giselle and Tom would only get the finest tomato. It would probably be flown in from some exotic location and just placed on a cutting board. And I can see them just... You know, with the finest and sharpest knife, just slicing that thing, and the and the tomato juice just oozing out of it, just the freshest, greatest tomato any of us had ever seen. And he and Giselle, in fact, I have I picture him and Giselle doing kind of a Lady in the Tramp thing, where they each eat half the tomato and end up in a kiss, <laughs> lip lock. You know, kind but of the guilt thing. afterwards, Brian. Imagine the guilt. <laughs> he doesn't eat fruits. What's wrong with fruit? These are the kind of articles that wreck my head. I'm now going to hear that bananas are bad for me or something like this. These kind of articles that pop up every now and again. The things that I think are good are no good. I can be totally honest with you guys. Listen, I've met you guys. You guys made the journey, the incredible transatlantic journey, transcontinental journey in San Francisco. I've I've, I've met the both of you. I've I've, uh, had emotional meetings with the two of you in front of AT&T Park. But I am going to give Tom Brady the edge on utter handsomeness. So maybe, (laughs) maybe... 
maybe we should all, and I think you could say the same back to me, by the way. You so bastard, Maybe the Brian. three of us should investigate this no tomato, no mushroom, no pepper, no eggplant, no coffee diet, and we'd start looking like Tom Brady. Last quick story I wanted to ask you about involves the St. Louis Rams, who are now going to be the L.A. Rams. And this is how excited we are about this. Yeah, so that was Ram It, a song by the 1986 Rams when they were previously in L.A. Greg Beecham, thank you very much for assaulting our eardrums by sending that one on to us. What's going on here, Brian? Wait, turn, hey, wait, turn, I, by the way, what's going on is I want you to play that longer. I want to hear more <laughs> of that. That's it's pretty funky. I want to hear. Yeah, it's a pretty it's funky very, very, It's very, very mid-80s. By the way, Ram It. Just ponder that one for a while. Uh, that that was uh, a one of the, in the mid-80s we had that, some would say unfortunate, I would say fortunate, spate of uh, team videos you know obviously super bowl shuffle would be the you know the the creme de la creme uh, the chicago bears and other teams tried to do one you know the 49ers had one that got very little traction also ram it would be one of those ones. i would call that a b-side is what i would call mm-hmm. that a b-side to a single you know the beatles would put out their their big hits and then they'd have the flip side of the record that's ram it yeah the la rams well guys i mean you're talking to an older gentleman here your boy U.S. Murph, I'm old enough with the gray hair at the temples to remember quite vividly the Los Angeles Rams. And in fact, they were the L.A. Rams for the first 27 years of my life. So this to me, this is normal. I saw somebody tweet out, uh, um, somebody tweeted out, Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. He's a great reporter. We have him on our show. Da, da, da. He wrote, wow, Los Angeles Rams, that's going to take some getting used to. And we said, no, dude. St. Louis Rams took some getting used to. And in fact, I never got used to it. Even when Kurt Warner and the greatest show on, on turf with Marshall Falk and Dick Vermeil and Isaac Bruce, when they won that Super Bowl, I was like, St. Louis Rams, who the hell are these guys? So this is a return to normalcy. Now you could also play the old game. Actually, they originated in Cleveland before in 1946, before they moved to, to LA. So that would be the original Rams. But I would say that most right thinking Americans associate the Rams with Los Angeles and LA, as you guys have known or don't know, has been without an NFL team for 20 years. It's been one of the statistical oddities in American sports that the second largest market in America and the largest media market in America, as far as, you know, film and television and exposure didn't have an NFL team. It was truly bizarre. I mean, think about the missed endorsement opportunities or money opportunities or or corporations and Hollywood companies that weren't spending money on the NFL that didn't have a team there. So this has been just a truly bizarre vacuum that has finally been filled again. Guy's name is Stan Kroenke, who I believe you guys know him from uh, the Premiership, right? Doesn't oh, yeah, he yeah. He's a major shareholder with Arsenal, yeah. Yeah, how are they doing, by the way? Uh, they're doing pretty well. Well, they're in, they're in contention to win the league this year. They've been, they're on a very sound financial footing, which I'm sure he's pretty happy with. Uh, and they've had the same manager for about 15, 16 years. He won a bunch of league titles in his early years with them, but they haven't been as successful recently. But they're always there or thereabouts. Does he get? Does Crunky get over there ever? Does he show his face at the games? No, he's pretty much seen as a as a silent partner. Near enough, uh, the, the idea of he never speaks on Arsenal at all. Uh, and if Arsenal fans have a complaint about him, it's that he he his lack of involvement, his lack of engagement with the club, and also probably uh, well, well, it's 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 weird because Arsenal appear to have money, but they just don't spend it. So whether the manager gets to blame for that or the owner gets to blame for that, that's basically how Arsenal are, are viewed as a sort of money making corporation. Um, but as it turns out, Arsenal are about as well run a club financially in in the Premier League as there is, I would yeah. say. 
this guy's money is unbelievable. So what happened was this L.A. market was sitting there, and finally it had reached uh, a boiling point with three teams that were very upset with their stadium situations. The Rams were upset with the St. Louis Stadium. The Chargers in San Diego had had been in a stadium that was very similar to Candlestick Park in that it had outgrown its 60s-ness, 1960s, 70s heyday. And then the same thing with the Oakland Raiders right here in the in the Bay Area, the Oakland Coliseum, where uh, we'll never forget Owen going over to see the Warriors when he was wearing a Splash Brothers shirt, was literally sharing a bill, sharing land with the Oakland Coliseum where the Raiders play. That's where the, the Warriors and the Raiders play in, in two buildings that share a parking lot and only are connected by a tunnel. So you were there, Owen. You saw the crumbling, decaying heap that was the Oakland Coliseum where the Raiders play. So all three of those teams, and finally the NFL saw a chance to do what? Use leverage to do what? Make more money. So what do they do? They use leverage to make more money. They told the city governments of St. Louis, San Diego, and Oakland, well, unless you guys give us free money and build us a new stadium, we're going to go to L.A. And they had their ace in the hole, Stan Kroenke, saying, I'm willing to spend my own money on a $2 billion that's with a B, $2 billion stadium that he figures will, of course, pay for itself with its incredible amount of entertainment options. So they're already saying, so it's a done deal, by the way. The Rams will play in Los Angeles this fall. For me, like set aside the financial part, for those of us on the West Coast, it's a return to normalcy. The San Francisco 49ers, even though they play 50 miles south in Santa Clara, will play the Los Angeles Rams, even though they'll be playing in Inglewood and Hollywood Park, which is actually closer to downtown L.A. than Santa Clara is to San Francisco. But we're back to our old rivalries, the rivalries my parents told us about, the 49ers and the Rams, SF and L.A., NorCal and SoCal. So for those of us in the Golden State, this is a return to normalcy. And for Stan Kroenke, is he's going to build this, this big entertainment complex, and they're talking guys this thing will open in 2019 and it's not just going to feature the nfl they're also talking about a second team the chargers have the option to join them and if the chargers don't decide by march the raiders have the option to join them so there will be two count them two teams down in this stadium in in hollywood park which was an old racetrack right near where the lakers played the fabulous forum where the lakers played throughout the 80s with magic johnson and kareem abdul jabbar and then they're saying it will host college basketball final fours They're going to talk about the NFL Combine in Indianapolis will move out to this stadium. They're talking about holding NFL drafts there. They're talking about holding international soccer matches there. If the U.S. ever gets a World Cup or any uh, CONCACAF Gold Cup type of stuff or exhibitions when the top European clubs come to America. They're talking about concerts, your Adele's, et cetera. So it's going to be, uh, you know, the next big thing in L.A. loves the next big thing. Brian, no white sugar, no white flour, no MSG. Ah, come on. He will use raw, live, he, he will use raw olive oil, but there will not be uh, olive oil won't be used for the cooking process. Uh, the chef only cooks with coconut oil. Oh, fats like canola oil turn into trans fats. He uses Himalayan pink salt as the sodium. So there you go. You've got well, the your, Himalayan pink salt. I'm with him on that one. <laughs> yeah. I'll give him that one. Uh, once again, boys, once again, boys, I think the proof is in the cheekbones mm-hmm. and in the jawline. The, the man is utterly handsome. That's what can a we gift say? from God. That's got nothing to do with his diet, Brian. <laughs> Brian, off Himalayan the... pink salt for all of us. Exactly. Boys. Enjoy. Take care. All right. Take care, guys. Stop it. That's one of those things. Stop it. How many players can do this? Death man can never die. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Oh, he's back in chance. Oh! 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 Oh!
Ken, I can see you giving me fairly filthy looks here. I do apologize for not immediately opening that email. It just came across my desk at a, at a time. I must have been busy with something. I, I don't know. I've no Whatever, real huh? reason. But all I can do is offer you an apology. It's, I don't. I don't care. I don't care that you don't that you didn't read my email and that you don't, didn't respond to my email. I don't care. You think I care I mean, about that? It's just common courtesy, really, to respond. I mean, you know, we're we're asking him to go two steps beyond what he actually did, which was just completely ignore it. I mean, even just to fire back an email, thanks, Ken. We'll read that as soon as I can. Well, I wouldn't. Do, I wouldn't do that. No, that's just disingenuous. If you're not sure you're going to read it, I wouldn't even know. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. You don't. You can't expect people to reply to every email anymore. There's more from this chef. No coffee. No caffeine. No fungus. No dairy. No fun is what I say about Tom Brady's diet here. What about snacks? He's asked. Is there any science behind this diet, by the way? Because I was reading about Largely plant-based, he says. It's all about plant-based uh, plant foods. They're better for you. My philosophy you. is that a plant-based diet has the power to reverse and prevent disease. Well, that may be true to some extent, but I don't know if it's, if it's totally... Like, I mean, I'd, I don't know what the I'd, basis of your philosophy is. Do you I want try to not to sound quite so much like an infomercial as well. <laughs> where is the, sci- where is the scientific that, yeah. evidence for this? Do you want to know? Tom what? Brady. That's the scientific evidence. Tom Brady Ken. and Giselle, yeah. He bestrides the NFL like a colossus. How much, how much more science do you need, Ken? Ryan Giggs needs to, do a, um, needs to do a cookbook. I mean, is this based on the fact that Tom Brady has such, has such career longevity? Uh, well, he is an old man. He's uh, already he's thirty-seven. Expressed. Yeah, but he said he said recently he can play for ten more years. But I mean, what he does he have can't. to do apart from just throw the ball? He doesn't actually do anything. He doesn't have to run or, you know, does he? <laughs> it's a pretty involved position. Get <laughs> what he just has to not get hit by people. That's other yeah, that's uh, other people's job. He to, he, well, yeah, he has, he does have to then get up when he is hit, which is a, quite a bit. He has to be able to absorb hits. I think you started with the thing, he has to throw that ball a long way as well. He has to throw the ball. I think most 47-year-old people would not be throwing a ball as... Well, he's only 30. He's only 37. But right? I'm talking about if he's still playing in 10 years. Anyway, Ken, these are the snacks that he eats. Okay. Fruit rolls. This is what the chef makes. I make fruit rolls from bananas, pineapple, and spirulina. Spirulina is an algae. It's a super fruit. I dehydrate it. I dehydrate a lot of things. Yeah. They've got like three dehydrators in there. Not a fun guy. I dehydrate a lot of things. It's not a sentence you want everyone to hear when you're talking about food. Well, the guy, the guy has to, you know, he's he's got to earn his money. You know, that's their their comfort food. Tom and Giselle and the kids, and the comfort food is what like uh, quinoa. And I hate this is it right? Quinoa dish with wilted greens, kale, Swiss chard, or beet greens. Uh, I add garlic, toasted in coconut oil. Dehydrated. He, he only uses coconut oil. He thinks olive oil is too unhealthy. And then some toasted almonds or this cashew sauce with lime, curry, lemongrass and a bit of ginger. That's just comfort food for them. Uh, so that's when they're really, you know, cutting loose. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Owen. I don't think most of us need to be bothered with this nonsense. But also, I want to see some scientific evidence. It's not enough just to say, this is my philosophy. It all has to be alkaline. Come on. What's this? Why? Why does it have to... <laughs> a lot of questions there. More <laughs> questions than answers, Ken, I'm well, You know, apparently the body is supposed to be slightly alkaline. We can't heal once our pH gets below a certain acidity. Okay, I'm like, fair enough. Does your food really affect that in a big scientific 
scientifically proven way. And also, why is it that when I look at lists of alkaline foods, I keep seeing different foods in different levels of alkaline acidity? You know what I mean? Ken, you're not suggesting that this guy's a bit of a joker, are you? Well, he could he could be, but like you know, it's just it just annoys me, you know. Especially when you've got a scientific sounding principle, you know, yeah. such as like pH or whatever. Then I want to see some actual evidence for your scientific claims. The Irish time. I mean, it's all it's obvious to me that a diet which is based on healthy plants is probably <laughs> okay, going to be good yeah, for you. Yeah, I I, I think we. But is it good enough? That, is it good enough for you? Is, are the health benefits so? Are, are, are they so major as to actually make the diet worth sticking to? That's my question. The Irish Times, second captain's football podcast, is out now. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Well, we were lucky, Owen. We got to see some good football this midweek. And to talk about that, we were joined by Richie Sadler, who gave us mince pies, which Tom Brady would have thrown back in his face. And actually, I have to say that since I ate mine earlier, I feel a little bit of indigestion. Yeah, but you, you forgot to dehydrate them. I didn't dehydrate them, but I mean, I shouldn't I, eat I, them I, anyway. I got my dehumidifier to the mince pie and just... Uh, it's it's, water it's pastry with a bunch of sugary uh, fruit. That is not... Well, he brought four of them, and I think I ate three of them, and, <laughs> and they were good. And how's your, how's your stomach pH? I've, my iron constitution, Ken... Has taken care of business. So you don't you that. don't feel any absolutely none whatsoever, none whatsoever. I've uh, spent the last or the first fourteen days of January finishing off the assorted junk foods that I accumulated over the Christmas period. Ken, yeah, I can tell you now, I've never felt better. Creed is out tomorrow, and we spoke to one of the stars of the movie, Tony Bellew, ahead of the. He was on the way to the premiere, so I asked him first of all whether he's getting used to doing all these interviews, going to these premieres. Is he getting used to the life of a Hollywood star? Uh, I'm not sure about the life of Hollywood star. I would still say I'm still the same. Uh, no crack scouser who can just spill anything whenever it's possible. So I'm never going to change, mate. I mean, it's just I'm me and that's it. Yeah, well, I'm sure your, your, your friends and family wouldn't let you change even if you wanted to get the big no, head. No, they wouldn't. Yeah. Have you actually seen the full movie yet yourself? I've seen it a couple of times yeah. now. Uh, I'm massively impressed. I just like I said, it's, it's so humble, and I can't believe I've actually done it. And uh, we'll see where it leads. But ultimately, you know, it's it's an amazing movie. It's a really fantastic movie. A must see movie for this year, in my opinion. Where would you like it to lead? Yeah, would you eye up a career long term in acting, or was this a one off? Uh, I'd I'd like to to, to to believe I could do it again, and yes, I do think I can, but. Like I say, it's it's only time will tell. I mean, it, I don't know. It's it's hard to reflect on everything that I've done. It really, really is. And I just need time to reflect and look at what I've done and how I've done it and, and just soak it up because it's been an amazing experience. I'm a kid who's come from nowhere. I'm just a normal scouser and I'm in a movie with Rocky Balboa. It's crazy. Uh, boxers have always seemed a, a more natural fit for 
acting roles than maybe any other type of sports person. I mean, for instance, if, yeah. if I hear Seamus Coleman's going to be in a movie, I'm probably going to fear the worst. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's Seamus some... can act, you know, you shouldn't knock him. He's a funny kid. He can't half tell a joke. <laughs> yeah, well, particularly in the box, we've, we've seen a few times. But uh, he, uh, I mean, uh, there is something about the, the, what boxers have to do to sell themselves and sell fights that really lends, themsel- lends itself to performing in the way that, that we saw you in, in, in Creed. Is, is, do you think that, there, that you maybe have a leg up on other sports people in the acting world just by dint of what you have to do as a boxer uh, before fights? You definitely make a valid point there, but what I will say is, is, is selling fights and actually getting into fights is two different things. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've had to sell some fights that I don't think are going to be some good fights. I mean, I, I fought over Mackenzie twice the second time around. I knew it was going to be a boring boxing match, but for the boxing purist, it's absolutely brilliant because that's what they're there to see, boxing skills. But sometimes you've got to, I wouldn't say tell lies or act, but you've got to give a persona of something different. You know, sometimes I've got to come across to a guy that I'm going to fight him absolutely head on, non-stop. When the truth and reality is, I'm going to box him and I'm going to and I'm going to move on my legs all night. Yeah. So you've got to sell these things to the other fighter and make him believe that's what you're going to do. So is that acting? I mean, I don't know. But but what it is doing is, is you've got to sell guys things that that might not necessarily be true. And if that's classed as acting, then you know boxers are going to make great actors. Is it true that Ross Barkley helped you get the part somehow? It was Ross who gave me number out. Yes, it is true. So okay, can you tell, can you tell us Ross that story? Who I called when I thought it was the wind up. So right. So, uh, so can you just explain that to us? What happened there? Uh, my number had been passed to a gentleman, and then I called. This guy called me after Everton had just been beaten six three by Chelsea. I answered the phone and basically, you know, after your team's just being beat 60, the last thing you want to hear is a fella telling you he's calling you on behalf of Warner Brothers and he wants you to be in a movie. <laughs> you know, it's just not the kind of thing you get a phone call on after a game where your team's just being bounced all over the pitch. And uh, when the phone call came to I was like, mate, pull the other one. I'm, I'm not in the mood. And then, and, you know, he, he persisted to call back. He must have called me about four times in the space of an hour. And when he finally convinced me round, I said to him, who did you actually get me number off? And uh, he said, listen, I got your number off Ross Barkley. So the first thing I'd done then was say, can I give you the call back, mate? And I called Ross. So when I called Ross, my first words were, lad, if you're winding me up with you and the lads around, I swear there's going to be no wheels left on your car when I finish with it. <laughs> and uh, it, they were all laughing and, and joking, but uh, it just uh, it, it, it didn't seem like Ross, because Ross isn't the type to wind up, or he's not the prankster type. That's very much more Leon Osmond's style. Right. And uh, he's who I was kind of blaming at first, but then I felt a little bit embarrassed when it actually came out, and it was true, and it wasn't a wind-up. So uh, I was embarrassed, shocked, and very humbled all in all in one. If you can imagine that, yeah, yeah, no, I can imagine it. No, it's a, it's a great description, I think, Tony. And we saw I was watching the Golden Globes last night, well, from a, a few nights ago, uh, and the reaction to Sylvester Stallone winning the Best Supporting Actor was incredible. A lot of the a lot of the rest of the awards, you know, the the actor goes up, gets polite applause from a lot of people yeah. who maybe do or don't like the actors, whereas Stallone walks up, and I don't know if it's just about Rocky the movie or if it's about Stallone, but the place went absolutely crazy. Well, it helps to the fact that, you know, he's an icon. I've said this a couple of times now. He's like Caesar in Rome. That's the best way of saying it. He's just, he's an unbelievable, iconic figure. And and someone who who, who is respected in every kind of place he goes, in the sporting world, in the filming world. He's just an iconic figure. And, you know, to do what he's done. He's created things like, 
you know, Rocky Balboa, a figure that's gonna that's gonna live forever. He's also created another figure in Rambo, and then he's gonna live forever. It's just this from all from one man and an amazing actor, an amazing gentleman, whose uh, whose whose name will live on forever. Okay, well, listen, Tony, we recommend people go and have a look and, and judge for themselves. Listen, well done, and thanks for talking. Thank you very much, guys, and everybody go and see Creed in cinemas from Friday. Thank you very much. Mm. You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, hmm. And I know a butt whooping was coming at the house. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. Jane, 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 Tony is born. Iran Barkley is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your own information. I'm an alien. You should be gone. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Well, here you go. I tell you, there's one piece of information I wasn't expecting to get from that interview that Leon Osman is much more likely to pull a practical joke than Ross Barkey is. That's the only, the only element of that story that Tony Bellew felt was realistic when he was taking that call from Hollywood the day that Everton lost 6-3 to Chelsea was, well, they got the number off Ross. Now, he's not a, he's a, he's a serious enough dude. He probably wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't be pulling my leg. Then threatened to, you know, take care of Ross Barkley if Ross Barkley was pulling his leg. Thankfully, he wasn't. Strange yeah. story again, huh? Yeah. Um, what did you make of his performance? I thought he covered the bases. I thought he did, did, did well, yeah. Um, it was mostly fighting with some mean comments at press conferences. So essentially... Oh, was there not a... Did he go... He, he went... He, oh, no, he punches someone else at a press conference. That's what he got. Mm. He, got he gets banned because he punched someone at a press conference or yeah. he, he, gets into, he gets into hot water. But he, res, he restricts himself just to insulting young Wallace. Uh, you can, and you Rocky stop as well. Him Wallace, by the way, Wallace was again just a character name of this person in a previous. I know, but I just can't. I just show. can't believe that like he's he's all grown up. You know, I mean, it's good. It's obviously good. Um, it's the magic of cinema, though, isn't it? Just twelve years apart, that the same actor can <laughs> look one way in one in one iteration, and then a totally different way. Just 12 short years later. <laughs> there's a lot of football in our football podcast today, but there's some Pep Guardiola news that we didn't cover, is there? A little Pep. Um, so Pep getting, uh, getting getting a little angry. Well, seeming to get maybe angry. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe I'm misinterpreting his tone. But a journalist who was definitely there to, to wind him up a little bit, um, saying to him, you know, Pep, you have been criticised in England for being disrespectful to the coaches there. And Pep's like looking at him. What? What have I done? <laughs> and he goes, you know, by saying that you're moving to England, but not saying which club it is that you're taking over. And Pep is already cutting him off. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because I've always been very respectful to my colleagues uh, in, in my career. I've always been very uh, respectful to my colleagues. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry if people feel insulted. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Do you reckon he, he was being somewhat sarcastic? Yeah, but I think the journalist was there to, to annoy him a little bit. It was just, I was like, what's the point of that? Like, did, have you been disrespectful? Maybe he has. Should he have been super 100% disrespectful to Manuel Pellegrini? Yeah, that's the thing. He, he could have said, listen, I didn't mention Pellegrini by name, but now that you're bringing it up, I apologise to Manuel Pellegrini for the taking this job. The thing is that it's not just really Pep Guardiola's announcement to make, it's Manchester City's announcement to make. Mm. It's not Guardiola's announcement to make. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be replacing... I'm going to be replacing uh, Pellegrini. It's up to the board of Manchester City to make the announcement. That's the way that it works at Bayern. It was, you know, Rummenigge and um, the, you know, early Honus who made the announcement. It wasn't Pep who said, yeah, I'm taking you up Heinke's job. Great job, Heinke's, but, you know, I'm going to let you finish, but I'm going to be taking over your job pretty soon. Um, it's, you know, so... Uh, direct that question to Man City rather than Pep if it's Man City that have agreed to uh, to sign him. You happy to wrap things up? Wrap things up? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, happy to go. All right, thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks so much, Kieran. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. Chat to you later. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.